Good evening, it's good to see you and to again be able to be together. I invite you to turn in your Bible. In a moment we will study together from it. I want to just add a word of encouragement as our Gospel meeting is drawing near that we continue to pray and invite folks and make our own plans to be here. Beginning on Friday night with Brother Jerry Fight from Pasadena, Texas. We're looking forward to a good study, good series of lessons as he's prepared and and I know that we're going to all benefit from that and hope to be able to bring others to hear the Gospel as well. So, so let's keep that on our mind uh, throughout the week, our prayers and our activities as that approaches. The question on the, on the chart tonight is a question that God asked a man one time. Uh, in Genesis, the fourth chapter, God asked Cain, why are you angry? And we'll get to him eventually. But uh, it's... It, ought to become apparent, and is as we study the Word of God, that anger retained is sin. Ephesians 4 and 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. The retention of anger in our heart is a sin against God and against man. It is uh, whether that anger is the uh, settled disposition of agitation, or whether it is the outburst of fury and wrath, thumos, which is their works of the flesh, and these sins must be eliminated. Because you see, they, they, if allowed to find a place in our heart, then they surely will be our demise. Now anger is triggered by something. Uh, There are things that cause anger. When God asks that question, why are you angry? That necessarily implies there's there's a root to the anger. Now, it it just does not self-generate. Which reminded me, did you hear about the fire just this past week over here? I know Brad sure did. Over on the Northwest Highway. Uh, I think it was last Sunday. Uh, It was in the newspaper anyway. Um... The fire started when a bucket of towels that had cooking oil on them, they'd been washed, uh, they'd been taken out of the dryer, they were still hot and warm, and I suppose some electric, some static built up, nevertheless, they were put in the bucket, and, and, they, and the fire started. It cost $35,000 of damage. Um, and so, shake the towels out. You know, they had, they had, they had washed it with cooking oil, uh, washed them. She so brought them home from a restaurant. They had cooking oil on it, and uh, several times we could still smell the oil. And um, there was enough there with the heat generated by the dryer that uh, fire started. Now, see, my, my point is, it, you know, fire just doesn't start on its own. Something is the cause. Something ignites it. Well, anger doesn't just happen by itself. Um, sometimes there are some people who have described anger as a, a secondary emotion simply because it's, it is triggered by something. Um, uh, there's, there's an underlying emotion. There's an underlying attitude or an action. It could be fear or frustration or injustice. It could be because I'm hurt or I'm shamed by shame or I have shame or maybe I'm jealous and envy or on and on the list can go. So, you know, for for as an illustration of that point, Genesis 30, verses 1 and 2, Jacob got angry at Rachel in that verse. It says, it says there that um, Rachel, when she saw that, when, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister, Leah, and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Now, Rachel was barren. But uh, she envied her sister who bore Jacob children. And so she, she kind of gives Jacob an ultimate, give me children or, I die, or, 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 or I'm just going to die. Well, Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel and said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Uh, you know, he, he felt like he was being unjustly blamed for something that really was beyond his control. She was getting, and he got angry. Well, that, that triggered a, an angry response on his part. Just to illustrate that there are mechanisms in our, in our lives and things that, that are going on in our lives 
that either produce this ongoing agitation or erupt in, in a flare of temper. And unless we're willing to identify that in ourselves, then how are we going to overcome the anger? How are we going to put to death anger and, and, and uh, wrath and, uh, unless we're able to identify what produces it? Just like those oily rags, they had been cleaned, but they still had residue and it, it under the right circumstances, it caused a fire. Well, that's why we're asking the question tonight. That's why God asked the question of Cain. Why are you angry? What is it that's bringing such anger to the surface in you? Um, we need to identify that in ourselves. And we need to do that successfully. We need to find the root causes of, the, of, of any anger that we have so that we can, we can drive to the root and cut it out from the root so that we can truly repent of the anger, of the sin of anger. And, uh, and not bear fruit that destroys our, us and destroys many others. So, I'd like for us to spend some time here for most of the lesson to just recognize that anger develops and it, it erupts from many, many different causes or sources. We will not have an exhaustive list tonight. It's not an exhaustive treatment, but it's representative and perhaps it will help us to continue to explore what, if, I'm, if I'm struggling with anger in some measure uh, in myself, why is it there? How can I identify that to then address it in a godly way uh, to, to uh, remove it uh, by removing the cause that's at the heart of it? Well, let's look at some reasons for anger in the Scriptures. Perhaps that will help us. Sometimes anger happens when others don't do what we want them to do. Um, I mean, let's just be frank about it. Sometimes we get ang angry at people because they're not doing what we want or we expect them to do. Um, in Numbers 24 and verse 10, we have the, uh, the story about Balaam and Balak. You know, Balak, the king of Moab, he, he commissions Balaam to come down and, and prophesy against Israel. And time after time, Balaam blessed Israel. God inspired him with the words of blessing. God gave him words of blessing that he spoke. And, and with each uh, occurrence, Balak gets more and more upset. So that we come down to 24, chapter 24, Numbers and verse 10, and it says Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam. And he struck his hands together. And Balaam said, uh, Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you bountifully blessed them these three times. I mean, he got, he got upset. He got angry. And, and he expressed that outwardly. Well, now, what's going on here, really? What, what's really happening? Isn't what's really happening is, is that, that Balaam's not doing what, he, what Balak expected him to do, uh, and, and, and wanted him to do and had spent a lot of effort in trying to get him to do. And you know, sometimes that happens with us in our various relationships is, is people don't do what we want them to do and we get angry about it. But what's the underlying cause of that? Well, at least in part, let me suggest to you that there's an issue of control that we have to look at. Uh, see, see, Balak thought he, that he could control Balaam and, and Balaam do what he wanted him to do. Sometimes we get angry at people because they just don't, won't do what we want. And what's really going on is, is I, just, I just don't have the control I think I ought to have, that I expect to have, that I should have. And you ought to do what I want because I want you to do it. Now you know what? Where does that show itself? Marriages. That shows itself in marriages with husbands and wives. But you're just not doing what I want you to do. Or in the way I want you to do it. Or when I want you to do it. Or how often I want you to do it. And, what, and yet what really happens in that kind of thinking, and, I get, and we get angry at each other, is I'm trying to control the other person. Isn't that really what's happening? You're not doing what I expect you to do. If, I, if my wife's not doing what I want her to do, and I can't give a better reason except I, I just want you to do it. Now, 
That's not headship. That's not leading. That's not leadership. No, that's, that's a control issue when I get angry in a marriage toward a spouse. Because they're just not doing what I, I want them to do. Well, look at the verse that helps put this into some context. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and not be bitter, and do not be bitter toward them. So, on the one hand, the wife is to yield to the leadership of the husband, follow his leadership. He may not be leading at a moment when that wife thinks the way she, she would do it, but she, he's the head, and so she's to follow his leadership, not get angry at him. On the other hand, the husband's not to get angry and bitter at the wife. There's two, two sides of that coin. Sometimes we get angry just because we have to, because you know what, we, we begin to learn that we just don't have as much control as we thought we did. And we get angry about it. Parents and children. Parents that obey their father and mother. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And fathers, he says, nurture them in the chastening admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6. He says, do not provoke your children to wrath. So, so once more, on two sides of that coin, you know, parents not doing what the child thinks they ought to be doing, just all oh, they're just being unfair, they're just mistreating me, they're, you know, and get angry. Sometimes parents get angry at the kids, and they shouldn't either, and are provoking wrath. Because it happens in churches too. Brethren get angry at each other when and it shouldn't be. You know, Diotrephes, he's a man who loved to have the preeminence, and and he was gonna he was gonna rule and rule ruin, really. I mean he was he was uh, he was putting folks out of the church uh, and and uh, so disruptive. And we can talk about every relationship, whatever relationship you want to talk about. Sometimes when people don't do what we want them to, we get angry. What we need to do instead is learn to control ourselves. To, to add to our knowledge self-control. To bear the fruit of the Spirit of self-control. And to understand that, that when it comes to, to others, I, I, I don't control you. I can influence you. I can seek to persuade you. But we're each responsible to God. And if I get angry because you're not doing doing what I think you ought to do, then then I've really elevated myself above you and expect expect uh, to wield a control over you that that really is is going to be damaging uh, to the relationship, damaging to to the soul, because it produces anger and it produces sin. Well. Sometimes we get angry out of envy and jealousy and selfishness, and and, and that takes us to Cain. Right, in Genesis four and verse three, it came to process. Came, or it in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit to the ground to the Lord, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but He did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, "Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen?" If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And his desire is for you, but you should rule over it. But very clearly here, he had, a, he had several problems going on here. He was envious and jealous uh, of his brother. And it all came back to pride to himself. You know, sometimes we get angry just because, you know, I deserve what what that person has. In fact, I deserve it more. Why, why, does he, why does he have that and I don't? And I start getting angry. Maybe it's on the job. Maybe it's some advancement. Maybe it's some, some, some promotion. Well, I worked harder than that fella. You know, I, I'm, I do a better job than that, that person does. Why? And before we know it, if we're not careful, we start getting angry. Maybe it's not an outburst of temper, but it's an agitation of spirit that just kind of lingers whenever we hear that name. Oh, you know, boy, that... that don't get me started, quote unquote. Well, what we need instead of pride, of course, remember, Cain hated his brother, and that hate led to murder. 
See, he could rule over it. Somebody said, I just can't help myself. Yes, you can. Yes, I can. If I say I can't help myself, I'm lying to myself. I'm deceiving myself. Because God told Cain, you rule over it. You should rule over it. The answer is humble contentment to prevent anger's eruption. You know, everybody's situation in life, no, no two situations are exact. Everybody has opportunities, responsibilities, uh, and, and some advance uh, more than others. There's the five talent, the one talent, the two talent. We all have opportunity and responsibility of which we're going to answer. So what we need to learn is contentment rather than comparison. When we, start, when we live a life of comparing ourselves to others, then, then we open the possibility, real possibility of envy and jealousy and the provocation of spirit that is of anger uh, and even, even uh, outbursts of wrath. Philippians 3, 11-13 says, I, I don't speak in regard of, uh, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Well, he had to learn that. We have to learn that. We have to learn contentment. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. And he learned to do that in a way that did not invite anger into his heart. Or envy or jealousy. Or dissatisfaction. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. His focus was Jesus. And so, eliminating pride and envy and jealousy and selfishness, we can, we can root out the source of anger at times that is residing in us. Sometimes we get angry because of guilt and shame. Because of the guilt and shame that we have in Acts the seventh chapter, perhaps this is an illustration of that point. When Stephen nears the conclusion of his sermon, he draws his application and he said, You stiff necked and uncircumcised heart and ears. You know, they had a heart and ears that would not listen to God. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so you do. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. Your fathers killed the prophets who talked about the Christ, and you killed the Christ. And you are those who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. You've sinned. You've sinned grievously. But see... They had hardened hearts, closed ears, and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on Him with their teeth. They were angry to the point of killing Him. You know, sometimes when our sin is exposed, anger erupts because you see that's a deflective and a defensive mechanism. When, when, when we come face to face with the reality of sin, of my failing, the temptation is to deflect that. Not to defuse it, but to to even sometimes become defensive. Not that in a rational moment we would try to defend sin, but but we we begin to try to defend ourselves and, and remove our own accountability. Anger does that, but it's but underneath the anger is sometimes we, we realize that, that hey, we've, we messed up. We sinned. And, and yet, rather than, than face that, anger finds a spot. And, and it, it, it's a defensive, deflective mechanism. We have to overcome the conceit and pride that would lead us down that path. We have to acknowledge our own faults. You know, we cannot change what we do not acknowledge. And that's part of confessing my sin to God and to you. You see, when I confess, that the word is idea of acknowledgement. Well, you know, David had to learn this lesson himself. A man after God's own heart. A man when he sinned 
and was brought to recognition of, of the situation, he he repented. But but you remember, you know, Nathan told him the parable about the man with the little ewe lamb and and he was a poor man, and this ewe lamb was very dear to him, and he had a rich neighbor, and when the neighbor rich neighbor had the, the, the visitor come to him, he didn't kill one of his own flock. He took that, that neighbor's little ewe lamb and slaughtered it and fed it to his visitor. Well, David got angry. The verse says David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. He shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he has done this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Fortunately, David, unlike those people that Stephen preached to, David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Verse 13. He did not allow the guilt of his sin to to produce an anger within him now that, that deflected his responsibility and his accountability. And, and, and you know, instead, he learned from it. And one of the lessons he learned in Psalm 32 is one that he shared in this psalm. He shared it with people of his day. He shares it with us. In Psalm 32 and verse 8, David uh, after he acknowledges the forgiveness from God and, and the blessing of that, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which has no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Don't be stubborn when it comes to acknowledging sin. Don't, don't allow... Uh, the, the reality of sin and its guilt to keep you from confessing it. Verse 5. See, David said, I acknowledge my sin to you. My iniquity I have not hidden. See, anger hides our sin. Really. When, when, when underneath it there's the issue of guilt or shame, the anger is a, is a, it's a, it's a cloak. It, it, it hides what's really going on. Now, the devil's tricky. Devil's devil is is really adept at what he does. You know, he 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 wants us to 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 be angry and deflect from responsibility, and in that anger, you know, begin to justify ourselves because that's what you know. When you know, I should have said this at the very beginning. When anger enters. Reason exits. When, when, when anger comes on the, on the scene, reason, good judgment exits. And he says, he says keep good judgment. Don't be like the mule. Don't be like the horse. It has to be harnessed and, and led about. Gain understanding. Let's look. If, I, if there's anger in, in your life, it, it, could that be the reason? If it is, deal with the underlying reason, the underlying cause, so that it will not be your undoing. We all have to do that at times. See, we all have to face that as one of the causes from time to time. Frustration can lead to anger. In 2 Samuel 6, you remember when they put the ark on the cart and began to bring it to Jerusalem? They were violating the Word of God. God wanted it carried on poles by the Kohathites. They put it on a cart. And, uh, and of course, no one was to ever touch the ark. They were used poles to carry it on the shoulders. But, but as this scene was, they put the ark on a new cart. 2 Samuel 6 and verse 3. And uh, as they're, they're going along and, and the, everybody's with the ark and they're, they're singing songs, they're praising God. At the very moment they're sinning against God, they're praising God. But when they came to, Nathan, uh, to Nathan's threshing floor, uh, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, and the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was roused against Uzzah. Now God got angry. What did He do? He struck them for their error, for His error. And He died there by the ark of God. So God's wrath is brought upon the sinner. Okay. That's a just, just, just wrath. He brings a punishment for that violation of his of his law. But, but now, verse eight says, David became angry. 
because the Lord's because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. So David became angry. And he was afraid of the Lord that day, verse 9 says, saying, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So frustration and also mingled with some fear, he gets angry. And he names the place Perizuzah, you know, as, as the place of breaking forth or outburst against Uzzah. And really, it was David who was having an outburst of frustration because they had not followed God's prescribed order. They had refused God's way of trans, transporting the ark. And whether it was just simple neglect or whether it was simply the, the excitement of the moment, they failed to follow God's Word. And, and so now when, when Uzzah dies, when, God, when, when the sin is exposed with God's punishment, David got angry, frustrated. Well... Sometimes we get angry just because, you see, we, we just don't like God's way at the moment. Now, David learned, and, and, and in the process of time, and the other verses teach us that they, he, he, he uh, consulted God's Word, and, and they repented, they changed that matter, and did things in the right way, and then God blessed them. But, but uh, it reminded me of Isaiah 55, and verse 8, where uh, it says, God said, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and... Your, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Sometimes we get frustrated or displeased or even angry over, over God and His judgments because, uh, because His way is just not the way we want. And we get angry. We get frustrated. We get agitated. And again, there's the element of pride or self-importance, I suppose, that provokes that kind of an anger and it keeps us from God. Uh, when, when we become frustrated with doing God's will and God's way, we get angry at that. Um, you know, the, we have to, brother, we have to develop the attitude of your will, not mine, be done to overcome this this trigger of frustration or this this root of, of anger of, uh, of of being of just being displeased of, toward God uh, and God's judgments. Uh, of course, that's an issue of growing our faith, developing our faith and trust in God's Word, in God's will, His truth uh, for us. So, sources of anger. Here's another one. When our expectations are not met, sometimes we get angry. When things, again, it's sort of like, it's sort of like maybe the, sort of the first one, like Balak, he, he was, uh, Balaam wasn't doing what he expected him to do, but so now, uh, I wanted to go with you over to, to Nahum uh, in the Second Kings five, Second Kings Naaman in Second Kings the fifth chapter. Naaman, the commander of the, the army of the king of Syria, the leper. You know the story. How he, the king of Syria, sends him to the king of Israel and and uh, uh, to, to heal him of his leprosy because a little Israelite girl had talked about the prophet that was in Israel and and the king said, "Oh, he's seeking to have a quarrel with me so he can he can come and, and attack me and def- and overwhelm me." But Elisha said, "Send him here." And 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 uh, when he got to the prophet's house. The prophet said, go and wash seven times in the Jordan and you'll be restored. You'll be clean. Look what happened. It says, Naaman became furious. Verse 11, he went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he'll surely come and he'll stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hands over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the far part of the rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? Could not wash in them and be clean. Well, I'd have to make this trip down here to Israel for this man to just say, go to that muddy Jordan. He turned away in a rage. Still a leper. <laughs> but he, he was justified in his thinking within himself. You see, again, the idea of arrogance and superiority. He, he thought himself too superior for God's, will, God's Word in the matter. And, and, and you know, well, you know we, we can... We can we can let anger overwhelm us, um, even to the extent of preventing an outcome we want. He wanted his leprosy to be gone. He wanted his leprosy to be healed. 
But in the moment, his anger was preventing the blessing that was available to him. And that's, what, that's one of the dangers of, of anger. Is it, it, it intrudes and prevents us from getting the very blessing that we want. Because we have developed some attitude that's generating an agitation, an anger toward the situation. See, God's expectations have to be our overriding concern in situations. If my expectations are not met, let me, let me just uh, let me pause. Let me go back and ask a, a fundamental question. Are my expectations in line with God's Word? Or am I putting expectations upon my husband or my wife or my brother or sister or my co-worker or whatever the relationship is? Am I putting expectations, demands that are against the will of God? And then, and then acting upon those unrealistic, unscriptural expectations and, cause, and, and, and causing me to be angry. You know, we have to. This is kind of what we were studying this morning. The purpose, God's purposes, God's outcomes have to be ours. Those have to be the goals of our heart and our lives. And God doesn't want us to be angry and and elevate our expectations to this point. Because you know, again, when our expectation is not always going to be met. Now, this man, his his expectations were. Where you know they were generated from a, a worldly point of view. I mean, he he was a man of power. He was a man of renown. He was a man who who was had servants. So we can understand how you know he he just he for the moment he just didn't comprehend and he just wasn't really to, willing to submit until his servants got his attention and said, "Wait a minute, master, don't you don't you want the blessing?" So, and then of course he, he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, just as the man of God had said, and, and God healed him. So, so let's realize that sometimes the expectations we have are not in harmony with God's will, and if we cling to our own expectations, even to the point of anger, then we're preventing the very blessing that we want and need from God and in the relationships that we have. Well, sometimes we get angry when we've been sinned against. When we've been sinned against, there's a great temptation to get angry. In Proverbs 25 and verse 23, 25-23, the proverb says, the north wind brings rain, brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. Somebody backbites against Tyler. Tyler's tempted to be angry, be upset about that. Because that's because the sin produces the result. Just like the wind blowing from the north brings rain, he says that sin against against that backbiting tongue produces anger. Well, I've been hurt. Uh, there's an injustice that's been leveled against me. I, and I've just not been treated in a loving way. And now, I, and now there's the temptation to allow anger to form. To, like, like those rags that still had the residue of oil and the heat in the right circumstance, and it explodes. Well, when I'm sinned against, I'm tempted with anger. I've got to be careful not to do that. How do I do that? How do I overcome that? Well, let's go to 1 Peter 2. I think we have a pretty clear answer in the Word of God about how, how I, you and me can, can prevent anger from finding a place in us when we are, when we are sinned against. And, and, and we've all been sinned against. And quite honestly, we've all sinned against others. So, you know, this is not... There's no... There's no Nothing here that's not common to every one of us. Now look at 1 Peter 2. Here's an answer for us. Here's God's Word. He says, look at Jesus. 
Has there been anybody ever wronged more than Jesus? Sinned against more than Jesus? Have you been sinned against more than Jesus was? I haven't. I know you haven't either. We would not be so bold as to say the sins against us even began to approach the sins against Jesus. And yet look at Him. For to this you were called. The Gospel has called us to be like Jesus in being patient in suffering. To this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who, when He was reviled, when people were angry, hurling insults and fists and whips and nails, when they were mocking Him and blaspheming Him, when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. How could He do that? Oh, well, He was God. No, no. That's not the answer. When He suffered, He didn't threaten. What did He do? But committed Himself to Him who judges righteously. He committed Himself. He entrusted Himself to God in the moment of injustice, in the moment of suffering. He did not become angry. Can you imagine that? Not being angry, going through that? He has been tempted in all points like us, yet without sin. When someone sins against me, when your wife or your husband sins against you, hurts you, pains you, Commit yourself to God. Won't repent. You commit yourself to God. You entrust yourself to God and you follow the example of Jesus. You say, well, that's easy to say, Joe. I know it's easy to say. It takes faith to do that. It takes trust in the Lord to do that. To know that that's the way that He guards us from sin ourselves. To develop long-suffering when it would be easier to be short-fused. 2 Corinthians 6, 3-6. We talked about the apostles this morning some from 1 Corinthians 4, but now look at 2 Corinthians 6. And you see some of the, the, the things they went through and some of the, the underlying character of their faith that enabled them to endure. He said, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs and in distresses, in stripes and imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness and fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the Word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Not angry. Always rejoicing. and Though sorrowful, though men are bringing sorrow to their lives, yet rejoicing, making, and yet making many rich as having nothing and yet possessing all things. There's our model, brethren, when people sin against us. The model of purity and knowledge and long-suffering and kindness and sincere love and the Word of God and so forth as he goes on to elaborate. Brethren, when we're sinned against, that's not an excuse or a reason justifiably to get angry. Jesus teaches us differently. Unresolved issues, Matthew 5, 21-26. Those, those can make us angry sometimes, and you see that here. In Matthew 5, 21-26, you have... Jesus said, you've heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. 
So, so just don't murder. But, uh, but of course, he's answering here, don't hold on to anger. He says, I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, Raka, that is empty-headed, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him. Lest the adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Clearly, here was an offense that was a legitimate offense. And, and, and you're going to have to answer to a judge about it and be punished for it. He said, so correct that. Sometimes we sometimes we get angry because we don't really we don't really follow God's way of dealing with these things, and, and we don't, and we begin to hold a grudge, we begin to hold bitterness. We've been talking about that in our class about unforgiveness. This verse tells us we it, it's not enough to say, "Well, I'm not going to kill a person," but to go around with with anger in our heart. He said that's not that's not how the citizen of heaven conducts himself. Oh, he says he says. The solution is take the initiative to address the matter and solve the matter. Verse 23, solve that so that your worship is accepted and quickly reconcile so that sin does not add sin upon sin and you don't find yourself guilty and lose your soul. Really, his point is be punished for the sin of anger in your heart. So, you know, anger can well up. We need to, we need, he says, you take the initiative. In fact, here, uh, you know, he says somebody's got something against you. He'd been talking about don't hold anger, then he says somebody's got something, somebody's angry at you. Then you go to him. You show enough care for his soul to try to reconcile that, that matter. I know we could go on and on with these lists of causes. Um, you know, Marriages have this. I just will comment here just for the, you know, unresolved issues in marriages can can put anger, embed anger uh, into hearts that makes it extremely difficult to to really remove and 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 be 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 right, have a good marriage. Um, you know that it just. Those things have to be addressed early and often to prevent uh, the destruction of, of the marriage or other relationships. So, we need to know the dangers. And we need to refuse the dangers that anger gives. Very quickly, it won't take a lot of time here, but note some of the dangers of anger. Foolishness is one of the dangers of anger. If I let anger find a place in me, whatever the cause is generating it, then I've, I've chosen foolishness. Proverbs 14 and verse 17. that proverb with me. Solomon, Proverbs 14, 17, said, A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. You know, you know reason, anger, reason is gone when anger comes in. We're not thinking rationally any longer. not thinking reasonably any longer. It's foolishness. It leads to foolishness. The danger of anger is it drives people away. It drives away those who should be close. Look at Proverbs 21.19. Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Well, the husband and his wife should be close. But contentiousness and anger drives them apart. Drives them apart. If you'll indulge me, I just I didn't know whether I was going to share this or not, uh, but I am. Because it reminded me when I was going over some of these thoughts, it reminded me of this song, and some of you may have already thought about it. It was written by a name called Bruce Robinson. It was performed by Tim McGraw. Angry all the time. Ever heard that song? Some of you have, some of you may not. Listen to the words. We're talking about how how anger drives people away. Here we are. What is left 
of a husband and a wife with four good kids who have a way of getting on with their lives. And I'm not old, but I'm getting a whole lot older every day. It's too late to keep from going crazy. i got to get away. The reasons that I can't stay don't have a thing to do with being in love. And I understand that loving a man shouldn't have to be this rough. And you ain't the only one who feels like this world left you far behind. I don't know why you got to be angry all the time. Our boys are strong now, the spitting image of you when you were young. I hope someday that they can see past what you have become. I remember every time I said I'd never leave, but what I can't live with is the memories of the way you used to be. Twenty years have come and went since I walked out your door. I never quit made, I never quite made it back to the one I was before. And it hurts me to think of you, for the light in your eyes was gone. For the light in your eyes was gone. And sometimes I don't know why this old world can't leave well enough alone. Well, rest assured, Satan's not going to leave well enough alone. He wants to destroy every relationship you have in this world, starting with God and going right on down the list. And, you know, I know that's written from a worldly perspective, but it illustrates what so many people are going through because they don't have God in their life. And, you see... It just drives people away from each other, and, and, and we've just got to we got to eliminate. We got to find the causes, and we got to overcome the causes to the best of our ability with God's help. You see, anger aggravates problems and increases sin. Proverbs twenty nine twenty two. It aggravates the problem. It doesn't solve a problem to get angry. It doesn't. It doesn't make your point. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't solidify what you want to say. An angry man stirs up strife. And a furious man abounds in transgression. And we can make all of the excuses we want for our anger, and when it's all said and done, I'm still a sinner in anger. <laughs> I've stirred up strife in my anger. And I've got to address that. I've got to come face to face with that. That's the danger of anger. It rests in the bosom of fools, Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 9. That's where, that's where anger rests. That's where it finds its home, in the bosom of the fool, in the heart of the fool. So, bear with me for a few more minutes. We've got to answer, or go to God as our example and our answer to show us how to be slow to anger. God shows us how to be slow to anger. Psalm 103, verses 8-12. through 12. Look at that psalm with me, this part of it. The verse says, The Lord is is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. He will not strive with us always. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Four things God shows us, or five rather, to be be slow to anger. First of all, God is merciful and gracious. You want to be slow to anger? Then develop mercy. Develop a, a compassionate heart of pity when others are distressed, when others have, have a problem. Mercy and grace. God is gracious. Look at that in verse 8. He's, slow to, he's merciful and gracious. Slow to anger. Very clearly. That's how, we, that's how we become slow to anger is ourselves develop mercy and grace. God does not hold grudges. Verse 9. He looks for ways to remove His anger. He doesn't look for ways to hold His grudge. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. See, God looks for ways to remove His wrath against sin. Now, his wrath against sin is real and it's justified, but God looks for ways to remove it. I, 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 we're talking about now anger that is not justified. For example, Cain, he needed to find a way to remove that anger. He didn't. And it led to increased sin and murdering his brother. We're going to be slow to anger. We've got to, we've got to not hold grudges. We've got to look for the opportunities 
of, of removing the anger with grace and mercy. Verse 10, He's not interested in retaliation or payback. He's not dealt with us according to our sins. He hasn't punished us according to our iniquities. No, God, God He's not interested in payback. And if we're going to remove anger, if we're going to be slow to anger, we've got to be careful not to be interested in payback. Because when we get interested in payback and retaliation, we get angry. And we begin to, to look for that. What, how's God slow to anger? He magnifies mercy again. Verse 11, As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. God shows his, magnifies His mercy. Where there is, you know, God's mercy is not removed when we sin. He calls us to repent and to fear Him, the verse says. And, and He is interested in magnifying His mercy as high as the heavens are above the earth. Magnify your mercy. Increase your mercy to avoid getting angry. And help prevent that. In verse 12, He abundantly forgives as far as the east is from the west. That's how far He has removed our sins from us. Full and complete. Abundant. That's how He's forgiving. That's how He is slow to anger. God's our pattern. We have to learn discretion. We have to learn the discretion of removing the anger that would intrude in our hearts and cause us of it. And it cause us to separate, be separated from God and from those and from one another and from those in our lives. In Proverbs 14:29, as we close, let's look at these Proverbs with me. 14:29, he who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. So we've got to overcome the impulse. We've got to, we've got to counteract that impulse as we try to show from God's Word tonight. Proverbs 19.11 The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Not to ignore, but the idea is to, to pass away or take away. Pass over or take away. There's glory in that. Not in the anger. To help overcome the point of sin. Proverbs 29.11 Finally, it says, A fool vents all of his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Venting. He says a wise man doesn't do that. That's what the fool does. That's what the fool does. Anger is a sin that we have to eliminate. It springs from other things, other sins, other situations. It doesn't always spring from a, from a sinful situation, but it springs from other things. We have to see those, acknowledge those, recognize them, address them, so that we're not drawn into, into sin or sin upon sin. So let's attack it at its root, and let's avoid it in our lives. If there's sin in your life of any nature, the gospel is to come out from that, to repent to confess that Jesus is the Son of God and be baptized for the remission of those sins. God, Christ's blood will wash those sins away. He'll add you to His church. You'll be redeemed for the hope of heaven. If there's sin in our lives as Christians, let us repent. Let us see and acknowledge that like David. I confessed my sin. He said, I, my sin I did not hide and You forgave me the transgression of my soul. If that's your need, we can help you in that. Won't you come? I'll extend the sin.